All right there, folks. Welcome again to the Tech Emergence Podcast, where we bring to the table the expertise in the domain of where technology and psychology intersect. We've done a decent amount of interviews in the neuroscience world, and today I'm lucky enough to have someone who's very special to me after I had seen her initial uh, TED Talk many years ago, uh, probably one of the more famous TED Talks that's out there right now. This uh, woman who's on the line with me now is also listed as Time, one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World in 2008, uh, neuroscientist, author of My Stroke of Insight, none other than Dr. Uh, Jill Bolt-Taylor. Jill, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, Daniel. Yes, indeed. Gr- glad to have you on here. You know, I, I was going to get a little bit into sort of where a lot of your work is now, which is in creating the relationships between the hemispheres of the brain and why that's advantageous uh, to us in our own lives and to have that kind of an understanding. But before I do, um, give us your brief rundown just for the folks that might need a refresher from the TED Talk as to the, the place and the purpose of the right and the left hemisphere, how they interact, how they differ. When we look out into the world and we have information as data coming in through our sensory systems, it goes to both of the hemispheres. And both of the hemispheres are processing the same data then, but in different ways. The right hemisphere is all about energy. Everything is interconnected. Everything, as you listen to my voice, you're actually listening to atoms and molecules beating on your tympanic membrane. It's going through the little ear ossicles, going through a viscous system, and ultimately there are hair follicles up there Mm -hmm. that are moving and in relationship to the auditory nerve. So there is this transduction of information in as energy and transferred into a neural code. The same thing is happening in everything that you see as you look into the world. The atoms and molecules are, are stimulating the retinal cells at the back of the eye and ultimately through a cascade of literally a third of the cells inside of your brain, you're being able to have an experience of vision that has three dimension, color, movement, and it's changing moment by moment by moment. So all of the data is coming in as energy, and that's what the right hemisphere is experiencing, the big picture, the big context of everything that is. The left hemisphere then, those cells come in and they specifically pick out and are organized to see definition and separation between those entities and organizing information in details, details, and more details about those details. (laughs) So the left hemisphere takes the information from that right hemisphere and processes it specifically so that we can interact with the external world. So we have these two very different ways of perceiving what's going on around us, and they're working together moment by moment constantly together in order for us to have a single seamless perception of reality. But what happens is that each of those two hemispheres has their own limbic system, an individual emotional system. So at the core of each of those two ways of perceiving information, we have two very different ways of feeling inside of our body. So when I look at you and I I look at you with love in my heart or I stand at an ocean and I feel the expansiveness and the openness of the experience, that's when I'm experiencing my right hemisphere personality. And when I'm focusing on the details, the details, and I'm, I'm experiencing my stress circuitry that may relate to my past or may relate to my future, that's when I'm in the character of my left hemisphere. So we really have these two very different ways of being inside of our bodies. And most 
of us are pretty tuned in to those two different ways of being. And if you don't feel that way about yourself, you should ask your spouse because they're probably very aware of those two different characters. <laughs> and it sounds like almost to some degree, and and this is just for, for an interesting point of clarity, when you had mentioned standing in front of the expansiveness of the ocean and being able to sort of feel that semblance of unitedness and oneness and that big picture of the right hemisphere and that the left hemisphere might be more analyzing, considering the past and future, is that angst and anxiety uh, potentially more housed in that hemisphere than, than the other more kind of one positive, one negative, or do we really have a good deal of both in both? I would not say that you have one positive and one negative. I would say that we can experience our left hemisphere way of being in the world in a stressful way. Stress in and of itself is not a bad thing no. for the biological system. But distress is another matter. So if I'm worrying about it or I'm feeling, uh, um, I'm feeling distressed because I'm, I have a sense of urgency and I'm behind, uh, then that's generally going to, to you know, you're not going to feel so good in yes. that. Um, the thing about the brain is that everything is working in there all the time. You know, the myth of uh, we only use 10% of our brains. No, I would say this, wh whoever said that was, was not aware that if it's alive and it's in your head, you're using it. But when you consider that each of us generally has a perception that we are a whole being and we are safe and we are a solid, and we have a interaction with other individuals as single, solid, separates. For us to be able to just have the capacity of the level of consciousness that we have for normal living, it would take us a three-dimensional organism with incredible numbers working together, processing tiny bits of data, massive in, in the whole big picture, for us to just exist in a normal way of being. So. Uh, the brain is this incredible, phenomenal, intric intricately connected, delicate fabric of life. Mm -hmm. And we then are the byproduct of that collection of cells and what it does. Every ability we have, we have because we have cells that perform that function. Yeah. So even if it's all the things that we do that are, are we're unconscious about, my ability to walk, I don't have to think about that. Well, somebody with Parkinson's has to think about that. Yeah. My ability to create language, it's very complicated in the brain. It takes those cells. Someone with aphasia, they're all different kinds of aphasia and problems that can happen if those cells go offline. Got it. And, and uh, the understanding of these two hemispheres, their interaction um, and, and sort of how they work uh, together and in some ways in, in polar opposite fashions in terms of how they see and perceive, um, obviously, this, this serves a purpose to have that understanding, not just for folks who might have uh, aphasia or, or other conditions, but just for regular folks living in the world, aiming to kind of live their best life. I know a lot of your speaking at this point in space and time sort of hones in about forming that better relationship of how those two uh, hemispheres upstairs are actually working and how we can get our brains to do what we want it to do. Um, how, how does that work? How, how can the day-to-day -day folk... Uh, get a, a decent understanding of how the brain functions and allow that to allow them um, to have a better sense of volition, control, use of their mind? Our number one most important relationship is the relationship we have between the character in our right brain and the character in our left brain. 
And it because, you know, so many of the conflicts that we experience personally, interpersonally, within ourselves, do I take this job? Well, my left brain says, well, I want to take this job and I want to move to Boston because I'll get more status, I'll get more money, it'll overall be a good thing for my family because we'll be able to live at a higher level. But my right hemisphere is the, the heart consciousness, if you will, mm-hmm. that is saying, but my kids are really stable right now and everything's going well and, and I want to be near my parents because my parents are aging and they're going to need my help and I'm actually going to have a higher quality of life because we have this wonderful network of friends here and things move a little slower here and we get to enjoy one another. And so those basic conflicts that happen intrapersonally within ourselves are the value structure of the right hemisphere and the value structure of the left hemisphere looking at one another going, yeah, but I want to go do this. <laughs> you know, one of one brain says, uh, uh, you know, I want to go party. And the other brain says, but I got to study and I can't, I can't go party until I get my studying done for tomorrow. So that primary relationship is is how do those two parts of ourselves interact with one another? And if the left brain, which has judgment and and what is defines what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is bad, and if that left brain comes at the right brain as harsh or or mean or doesn't value that creative, mm-hmm. open, fluid side, then there's a level of hostility and the person can become extremely left brain dominant. And as soon as that happens, there's going to be just one character that's coming through. And the beauty of what we are as human beings is that we are both. We are the value structure of the right brain, where we care about the collective whole. We care about humanity as one human family in relationship to this beautiful planet. And how do we create sustainability in relationship to this planet so that humanity can can thrive and not just just humanity, but life in general here. And then the left brain is saying, yeah, but I want to do that, and I want to make some profit at it. And the more profit I I have, then the better car I'm going to drive and the bigger house I'm going to have and the more prestige I'm going to have, I'm going to climb the ladder different, higher, and that's what's important. So you have these two very different value structures inside each one of us, and the secret is finding the balance between the two and creating a healthy relationship between the two so that we do thrive in the external world, but we're coming from a place of thriving inside of ourselves. Got it. Okay. So um, it sounds to me, at least in the way that it was articulated, that our sort of attunedness to well-being might be better founded right-wise and, and our uh, kind of nuanced detail and maybe ambition uh, from from at least how we had briefly articulated it, and I know we're we're having to move pretty swiftly. Um, is more on the left side, and you you had mentioned that it's possible for someone to totally subvert and sort of beat down that right hemisphere and become left brain dominant. Um, how might we know if I'm listening to this right now and I'm asking myself, oh shucks, you know, I sure do suppress my uh, desire to you know go eat a thing of ice cream or um, you know go for a walk, and I don't I don't let myself watch movies, and I, I do a lot of this working all the time, and and analyzing things, and man, maybe I'm maybe I'm left brain dominant, or, or I'm molding myself that way. How how would we um, know? What would be kind of the the side effects, the internal dialogues that we're having if, if that were the case? Uh, well, generally, there's not a whole lot of joy. 
I mean, I think it kind of does boil down to how much joy, real joy, are you having in your life? And I always ask people the question, how much money is enough money until you feel that you have, what's your magic number? And what, what is that, that amount of money that you need to have in order to feel secure? At which point then you really start using that money to make the world a better place. What is the focus? If my focus is on me and my family and my, my me, me the individual and me my little group, then that's very left brain. The right brain is caring more about the bigger picture. Am I using my energy, not just my money, but my time and my energy to make the world a better place? Do I even care about the world or is it dog eat dog and I'm one of the dogs and I'm going to be a big dog? Um, what is what is at the core of the feeling? If you're feeling compassion, if you're feeling openness, if you're feeling expansiveness. Now, that's not to say that we don't also have extreme right brain, because we have people who are also at the the far end of the right brain scale. Yeah, yeah. And generally, that that you know, people call them woo woo, or or uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's it then it becomes very hostile, and it, it's kind of more of of our our political system gets this way, where there's this this bipolarized experience of two people, and this bitterness, and this hostility, and this lack of tolerance, or this lack of compassion, and everyone should be like me. And the fact of the matter is that we are not alike. We have circuitry that is basically functionally designed to perform a function, but what is going on inside of each one of us is completely unique to each one of us. And my circuitry is my circuitry, and my circuitry is going to produce my gifts because every ability we have, we have because we have cells that produce that function. So you're going to have different skill sets and different gifts that you bring to the table than I am, than is anybody who's listening. Yep. And the beauty of the brain is that inside of the biological system, there's not that kind of hierarchy or dominance. Now, certainly certain groups of cells can dominate and silence other groups by inhibiting them, but... You know, so it's really a matter of, well, what's going on inside of your head? And are you even paying attention to what's going on inside of your head? Or are you just randomly living your life in an unconscious way? And what happens, happens. If I get angry, I run my anger circuit. If I get happy, I run my happy circuit. If I need to go to work and feel stressed out, how much time am I spending in that? If I'm experiencing depression or any of the, the emotional or what's going on with my own mental health, is going to be defined based on how much of these circuits I'm running at any period of time, and it's essentially they're running wild. I just believe we have a whole lot more say about what's going on inside of our head than we have been taught up until this point. Yeah, and I, and I think that hopefully as science uh, furthers itself continuously, you know, whether it be in, in neuroscience and psychiatry and psychology, um, hopefully that will be more so in this black box of what is upstairs, which is certainly less a black box than it was 200 years ago, uh, will become hopefully better and better understood in practical ways for our own well-being. And it sounds like your core message here, or one of them is um, to have an understanding that both of those those kinds of impetus upstairs, both of those leanings towards the nuance, the detail, the self, uh, the big picture, fulfillment, the world, um, both of those are valuable conversations uh, that that they're, they're both coming from a place that is real and is part of you, and that understanding that both of them are you and being able to actually tangibly find a balance allows you to 
get an understanding of what those upstairs arguments are about and maybe how you can closer find yourself. Exactly. That was beautifully uh, recapped. And, and, you know, when you look at neuroscience and what it has brought forward in the last 15 years, the entire dogma of this conversation has been completely shifted. When I was in school, we were taught that the brain cells you're born with are the brain cells you're going to die with, and that's it. And we know that that's just not true. There is neurogenesis. We do have the ability to grow some new neurons, especially in response to trauma. And as soon as that happens, that means that whatever the wiring is, in one moment, okay, well, we can actually bring back some function with some new neurons. But perhaps even more important than that is neuroplasticity. And because we used to believe that the wiring of the brain was pretty well established between the ages of zero and three, and that is true, fundamentally the primary circuits are, but when you look at over the span of a life, as we learn, learning is the product of the neuroplasticity, the ability of cells to rearrange which other cells they're communicating with moment by moment by moment. So the brain you woke up with this morning is already different than the brain that you have now because of neuroplasticity. And then you place on top of that from a psychological perspective as well as biology, we now know that mindfulness is very real. And we have the ability to change the underlying biology of the brain based on top of what what our thoughts are. And the more we habitually train ourselves to think habitually about new things, it becomes a habit because the cells underneath are creating a a new network to support that because of the neuroplasticity. So we're at a time when the the your generation is going to live in a completely different world than my generation because my generation didn't know this. And because we didn't know this, we've just been running essentially on go. Your group is actually now capable of really considering what's going on inside of your brain. How do I feel about that? Do I want more of this or do I want less of this? And then acting on that by choice. Yes, as opposed to maybe a little bit more of the concrete and deterministic previous perspectives on uh, neuroscience. Yeah. Got it. Um, And very lastly here, uh, Dr. Taylor, when I had communicated briefly with with Adam, who had set up the interview here, he he had mentioned um, some of your own trepidation around some uh, treatments of of, um, uh, neurological conditions that might involve uh, technology, for example. You know, I know there's some folks, and there's a lot of argument against it, uh, you know, getting a procedure for deep brain stimulation if, you know, all the other uh, depression um, treatments have not worked for them and other folks who've, who've had strokes like yourself but maybe to a further extent were completely unable to recover and had locked-in syndrome and have been trapped there for, for you know, over a decade or so and have, uh, you know, robotic arms that they're able to move uh, thanks to the ability of our brain uh, to, uh, you know, the, the neuroplasticity upstairs to be able to sort of channel their, their motor cortex to do something other than with their normal limbs. Do you see some of those extensions uh, potentially as being crutches that lean away from us kind of relying on ourselves and, and the ability to, to wield our own minds? Or do you see the, some of those as maybe fruitful extensions of this, this amazing mechanism upstairs? I think you have a little bit of everything, of course. Mm, yeah. You know, when you look at technology, there are 
marvelous, marvelous tools that are being used to help enhance people's ability, especially in the case of trauma. If you have someone who uh, has no limb and you can replace that limb and give a person an opportunity to um, uh, move again and have that level of freedom in their life because of that, of course, that's absolutely fabulous. Um, when you look at uh, the ability of the brain, though, to recover, if we have somebody who has their limbs and they are paralyzed, are there ways that we can actually use to wake up the brain to the fact that the body is there as opposed to putting a robot on it and moving the body for the person? As soon as you do something like that, you are now training the brain to its own level of limitation. And the brain then will adjust to its level of limitation, and the brain will become dependent on that, that robotic That's thing it. in order to have that movement. Are there other technologies that we can use that are really uh, being able to wake up the brain instead so that the brain doesn't have to use the crutch of the robot in order to have that movement? So, so and at the same time, you know, if you, if you have... Uh, language, you have aphasia, you have damage in the brain, uh, and you can use instruments in order to help that. I think um, transcranial magnet, magnets are fabulous for waking up certain cells inside of the brain. So, you know, I think that, that you know, this is the animal that we are, are living and breathing and feeding right now. And, yeah. and we are going to learn over time which pieces of technology really are helping the animal, the human, perform better and which ones are actually getting in the way of retraining the brain to take over its own function so that it can function better at its own natural level. And then, you know, there's the whole argument about electromagnetic radiation, uh, neuroma tumors on the auditory nerve, uh, what's going on inside of our bodies and how, you know, we are at a, uh, we are raging war on the biological system with the amount of electromagnetic energetics coming at us. Uh, and this is something that we're not even thinking about or looking at. We're just letting ourselves go through the process, which is how a species naturally mutates itself. And <laughs> so technically, that's kind of what we're doing. So it's not a bad thing, but what are we doing and how consciously are we doing it? And how many cancers are there going to be as a byproduct of it? Because we weren't even considering that from an ethical perspective. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, I very rarely consider, you know, how much time I spend on Skype like I am right now or on my cell phone or otherwise, and I think that, that um, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll come to a better understanding of where the dangers may lie there, but I completely get your point as well, where hopefully the future of research in neuro not only has to do with sort of extending and moving beyond um, our, our current capacities and, and hardware and software, but retraining it, using it, and making the most of the biological in addition to extending it when need be. And I agree with you. I right. hope that we continue to do both. Uh, Dr. Taylor, I know we are right about on time. I very much appreciate you sharing your insights here on the Tech Emergence podcast. If people would like to find you online, they want to learn more about neuroscience, uh, or maybe if they haven't watched your talk, it's easy enough to just Google your name, but where could they go online to find you? DrJillTaylor.com is uh, is my site, and uh, but the TED Talk is usually the launching point. If yeah. you do YouTube, my time with Oprah, uh, I've spent several hours with her or online. Um, it, it's it's all good, and I I just want to thank you, Daniel, because I know that uh, 
you do bring conversation uh, in a big expansive, and, and I always value that. No, for sure, and, and this has been part of it, and, and we I absolutely love the fact that we've been able to get your perspective too. So thanks so much, Jill. I appreciate you being here. Perfect. Thank you, dear. Have a good day. Yep. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, then make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, If you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, and be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious f- uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Um, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>